Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And as usual on this podcast, we search for very interesting folk. And today we went all the way to Boston, Boston. to speak with Sarah Scala. Scala? Scala? Scala, I think. But what was, what was amazing about this interview is kind of the, the level of discomfort I had uh, with it. I mean, that's worth the listen all by itself. And it, it is so difficult to know what to say and how to say it these days. And it was really a blast to talk to Sarah because this is the kind of work she does with companies and with individuals all over the, the country all the time. And it was, it was quite a conversation. So I have to say, I felt that I learned a great deal from this conversation. I learned a little bit more about the alphabet as well, which was really helpful to me as a person. So here's our awesome interview with Sarah Scala. Nice to see you, Sarah. I am super curious about your last name, Scala, because isn't, isn't that like a super famous a concert hall in Italy or something, La Scala or something, right? La Teatro La Scala. Yes, it is. So are you any relation? <laughs> I probably am, but I'm not certain how that all ties together. Nice. And we're talking to you. You're up in Boston, one of the neatest places in the world, in my opinion. What's your, you know, what's your tie to Boston? Well, I'm here in Boston for the past three years because my partner's here in Boston, but I grew up on Cape Cod in Massachusetts and still have a place there in Falmouth on the Cape. So between being on the Cape and being in Boston, life is good. So I have a, a, a friend from college who my first uh, break from first Thanksgiving break from school brought me to Cape Cod in the in well for Thanksgiving and it was kind of empty right it was it was beautiful and awesome and fun and such an interesting place to grow up I'll bet where you know in the winter it's just crickets and in the summer it's nuts right yeah except for last year with the pandemic many many people either bought homes on the Cape or moved their families to their second homes on the Cape to just be there during the pandemic so the winter didn't really quiet down all that much last winter on the Cape which was very different from how the Cape is historically in the winter it's like an, it's the opposite that's wild so and and how do you feel about being in the big city you know especially during this time yeah yeah, so being in Boston has certainly been interesting. I live in Watertown, which is next to Cambridge, and I like it in Watertown because uh, I live in a real house, not a you know twenty-story apartment complex. And we have parks and a great bike trail system, the Charles River bike path. So I try to play out there on my bike a lot, and it has more of a small town feel here in Watertown than being in the big city for sure. So let me dive in a little bit. I uh, since people can't see you, I'll have to say she she has a really cool kind of pink and checkered. I think it's checkered. It might be striped shirt. I, the connection plaid, is yep. good. okay. Plaid, nice. But the speaking of colorful in the background, there's reds, there's there's green, there's blue, there's all these different colors. So I want to just kind of dive in and say, talk about the sort of 
colorful workplaces of the future. You know, now we're on Zoom or we're in person, we're global, we're accepting theoretically folks of all kinds of different varieties. And, and that's a big part of your work, I know. Yeah, so I believe your question is the colors in the workplace right now. And I'm not certain if you're talking about the actual physical work environments that people are are working in, whether it's their home, whether it's shared workspace, whether it's back to the corporate office, or the importance of having diversity in different colors and flavors and backgrounds in the workplace. But I, I think colors and those... flavors and backgrounds is kind of the vibe I was I was thinking because I said colors, but I was thinking all kinds of different diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, the more we continue to support a place of inclusion, a workplace of psychological safety, whether it's remote or in person or a hybrid approach, I think is going to continue to be important and grow in importance, especially through the next year. And do you feel like, I know we'll, we'll get into some of the more sort of uh, leadership focused conversation here in a bit when I kick the ball over to Randy. But I'm curious about the, the issue of diversity because with the sort of changes that have happened in the last you know five or 10 years with the Me Too movement, with Black Lives Matter and more awareness uh, of certain things, have things actually gotten better? Uh, are they kind of a little bit more nuts right now and they will get better are people feeling more open uh, what are you actually seeing and, and actually we're all in our home offices or it's yeah. different so what, what are you actually seeing on the ground well what i'm seeing and hearing from my clients is that more people have an interest in supporting an inclusive workplace building awareness building skills around being an ally whether it's to the all different minority groups, whether it's LGBTQIA folks, whether it's folks who are black, folks who are immigrants, folks who may be uh, Latinx. I see a growing push of people that are hungry to learn and many don't know where to start. So that's something that I've been noticing quite a bit. How do I be an ally? What, is, what are microaggressions? Those are questions that keep coming up in, in workshops that I've been leading, especially through the past year and a half. And what I've been noticing, at least, you know, reading some of the studies, Harvard Business Review articles, et cetera, is especially those folks who are minorities, they don't really want to go back to the in-person workplace all that much because that workplace wasn't a place where they either felt safe or included or where they belonged. And so being able to feel safer in their home environments was actually a benefit, especially for those folks. So the microaggressions, I'm a pretty smart guy. That's one thing I've never quite understood. I understand sort of toxic behavior, which is kind of over the top. So the microaggression is like things that people might not even know they're doing. Yeah, yep. I'm most familiar with microaggressions as they pertain to the LGBTQIA world. And it, it may be just simple little comments about somebody being gay or somebody being bi, somebody, you know, may say, oh, that just means you haven't made up your mind yet or something like that. And I think a lot of it may come from pure, maybe ignorance isn't the right word, but unawareness when people are even doing it 
because they just think, oh, it, it was just a little ding. It wasn't a total slam of, of okay. this, this person so like or, a thousand or these types cuts. of folk. You get yes. like a thousand tiny little cuts all day long. And by the end of the yes. day, you're just exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that's where we're looking at in terms of microaggressions. There are many examples. Those were just a few. So we talk to people in your space very regularly, many times a week. And we hear the same words. We hear all the words that you've used, microaggressions, diversity. And I want to ask you a question that I want to go deeper than just simply your qualifications. And that is what what is unique about you that can help these corporates or these leaders deal with these issues? So I, I want to get personal. I, I'm, I'm not looking for a list of your qualifications, which are very sure. long, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. So what makes me uniquely qualified to help businesses, their leaders, and their employees really be successful in today's workplace? I think there are a few. One, I show up high energy every single day at work. Even if I'm having a rough day at home or got out of bed on the wrong side, I am high energy. I am ready to deliver. And the feedback I've gotten, especially over the past decade, is, wow, you bring it, you're excited to work with, you are you know, on fire, and it's fun. It's fun to engage with you. So that's the feedback that I've received on many testimonials and just talking with clients and their, their recommendations. Another thing I think that uniquely positions me to support the world today is that I have a specialty. One of the coaching niches that I heavily support is LGBTQ leaders and their allies. And there are not many executive coaches that really specialize in coaching LGBTQ folks. And it's it's a pretty unique space to play in that I think has made a huge impact, not only for my clients directly, but also for their organizations. So I think those those pieces, the energy and that specific niche for my executive coaching. That's really interesting. In particular, you know, I guess I, I had never thought about that, but the sort of representation, you, you want to be able to ask certain questions uh, or deal with certain topics and actually probably talk to someone who's experienced microaggressions or, or worse, uh, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so what about, what about just to take that down and then we can redirect, but the, the LGBTQIA, you have to remind me what the IA are again, because I forgot. And women in particular, you are also qualified to work with. Do you, is there a crossover there as, as a woman? Do you find that you feel more qualified or you feel like people connect with you more with an LGBTQIA or as a woman or the combination or, oh, this is awkward to talk about. It's funny. You can see, you can see all of my <laughs> uh, insecurities yeah. coming out. This is fun. That's okay. So let's start with the definition of the I and the A. I stands for intersex and A stands for asexual. So a person who is intersex has parts of their body that may be two different or multiple genders. Right. Um, asexual is typically a person who doesn't have sexual attraction to another person, regardless of gender. 
Right. So that's where Thanks the I, that. the A, step in. I know so many acronyms these days. Well, but so. it's well, it's, it's important <laughs> though because as we keep going, the questioning, you know, the Q, questioning. It's like, wow, okay. So the the further we go on, the the more it kind of explains the whole thing. It's like if you just say all the different letters, it's like, oh, I understand now. <laughs> so yeah, totally. And your second question was regarding people's um, comfort in working with me, whether it's the LGBTQ side or the fact that I am a woman. And I'm not completely clear on what your actual question is. A little less (laughs) about, yeah. So a little less about comfort, a little more about uh, who feels, well, yeah, who feels comfortable with you, who feels especially that your strategies and your expertise and your knowledge will help them. So I'm, I'm curious whether because there are a lot of women that we work with in leadership positions who work with women leaders. So that's that's why I kind of asked it that way. Yeah, so I have a number of clients through coaching, leadership development who are women. And it's funny because when people say, well, what's your niche or who do you work <laughs> with? And I say, oh, it's funny, I work with people. Well, what industry? Well, I work with just about every industry <laughs> as long as there are people and yeah. we're not harming people. I support all those industries, so. Nice. So my, I, I wouldn't say I especially specifically work with women or work with men or work with lesbians or work with bisexual or work with people who are intersex or transsex. I work with people. So along that line, where do you encounter the most resistance, the most difficulty? Is it in upper levels of management? Is it just in, it's hard to turn the ship around? Is it, what, what's the, where do you find the most resistance? I don't know so much that it's resistance, Kent, as much as it is people that make the biggest shift. And I find those folks are the folks that are typically in the higher power positions, typically middle-aged to senior level, white Males are those that I'm able to make the biggest shift with because their view and not every white male who is in upper leadership at all. I certainly don't want to put people in boxes, but historically, my experience has shown those people have the most opportunity to have the biggest impact. Because if you look at who is running businesses in the United States of America, who is in the C-suite, who are running the boards, the majority of which are white men. So I think white men have the biggest opportunity because they have the most level of power. And not all white men, but if we look at the data, <laughs> those are the ones that are typically <laughs> steering the ship. You're, you're speaking to two, two white, white men. Males. We're both like, hey, wait a minute. No. Okay. And, and I'm a white woman, so we <laughs> course, all carry privilege. And I'm an all white man, so I, yeah. I get all yep, the And not all white men. I'm getting no. there. I'm getting there. So I was going to, I was just going to jump in and say, so let's go one step further about your business. Cause I'm interested how, how to make a career out of something that has a toe in activism, right? It's, it's there, it's there, but it's also just straight business, right? Because you're saying, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say straight. It is <laughs> diverse business. Uh, that was funny. That's I said okay. straight, it's okay. <laughs> but, it, but it's like firmly in business. It's you're trying to say the bottom line is important. We want more Huge. productivity. We want more effectiveness. So to so talk about what it's like to be in business in that way. 
What's it like to be in business? Holy smokes. My company, Sarah Scale Consulting, just started its 10th year of business in September, which I think is a, a pretty big deal. I'm a sole proprietorship. I've had an opportunity to support many amazing companies from small family-owned businesses to Fortune 100 clients. And at the end of the day, the work that I do often feels good. It's enjoyable for the client, but it really moves the needle and impacts the bottom line. A couple of examples include building mentor programs that reduce turnover by 80 to 90% in the first year, building leadership development programs where people are ready to make the move in the pipeline for the next level of leadership for their company, designing succession plans that are pretty well executed, providing leadership coaching, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an executive or leader or a board of directors who is looking to transform their, their workplace. So all of these pieces, it's hard work, it's the people side of business, and the benefits to the bottom line as well as the culture are pretty significant. So I want to jump backwards um, maybe 10, 15 years ago to high school. And in high school, you enjoyed the challenges, the rope courses, the adventurous stuff. Yeah. And then you went on and you did Bachelor of Science in Adventure and Business. Yeah. I'm a business geek, so I get it. But many of our listeners will not Wait, think of Wait, did you business. say adventure? Yeah, adventure. Yeah. You got a bachelor's in adventure and yeah. business? Yep, wow. I have a bachelor's degrees in adventure recreation in Vermont, Green Mountain College, so pretty close to Middlebury, Kent. We were talking about that a few minutes ago, and also in business. And so I studied, those were my studies for undergrad because I wanted to specialize in corporate team building. In my first 10 years of my career, I did that more based on outdoor and experiential-based learning. In the past 10 years running my own business, I haven't been able to play outside quite as often at work. But Randy, what, what was your specific question regarding my background in ropes courses and adventure? Well, most, most people apart from business geeks like myself don't see business and adventure being the same thing. They see adventure being recreational. They see business being what you got to do to make a dollar and put food on the table. You have combined the two, and it seems yeah. that from an early age, you saw the opportunity there. So normally I would ask about the, the journey to get to where you are, but you seem to have had that very young. Yeah, yep. In the high school, went to Falmouth High School on Cape Cod, and we had a project adventure program um, where we got to participate in experiential learning. So I was 17, 18 years old. And I just thought, wow, this is fun, but also really neat. And so as I looked at colleges, I picked Green Mountain College early decision because they had an accredited four-year program in adventure recreation. And my parents, being the wise entrepreneurial folks that they are, said, we're happy to help pay for college, but you need to also study business. We're not going to send you away for four years just to play. And so my father, especially with his entrepreneurial brilliance, suggested that. And so that's what I did. And my intent from the minute I started college was to specialize in the corporate sector to provide leadership development, uh, corporate team building, and those programs and resources for businesses. I thought, wow, I maybe could make a career out of this. So 
the next logical question for me is what happened because then you went into you went into corporate yeah yep so what happened i went into corporate so my first job out of college was for a university teaching adventure education doing corporate team building from there i took a pivot and worked for the financial industry for three to four years um, which gave me a good lens into the corporate world because for me to say, oh, I can do all this corporate team building at my young age of 23, 24, having that business and corporate experience, I found to be really helpful. From there, I was headhunted to run the Kohler Experiential Learning Center, which is a P&L business of the Kohler company. Kohler's world famous for sinks, toilets, bathtubs. They just hosted a, a major, you know, golf tournament, I think last week, they're, they're a pretty, uh, pretty big company, but they have a business that specializes in corporate team and leadership development. And so I was brought on with my background to run that P&L company for a number of years. So that really married the two together, right? The business side that we're talking about and the experiential or adventure-based learning. And that was a blast. I moved back to New England after being in the Midwest for 10 years simply because I missed the mountains and being closer to my family. So I got more into corporate organization development work and then started my business back in 2012. Wow. So it's it's been a good ride. I'm thankful every day. I like that. I like that the good ride analogy. Um, so... I'm curious, going further back. So, where did the adventure thing start? What did you uh, you had in school, the ropes course and all that? Yeah. But did you? I mean, my friend who's from Cape Cod would always swim out to the boat, or he'd swim to a different island, or this and that. What What did you grow up doing? Were you an outdoors person, or what was? Yeah, yeah. what it looked like. So, uh, growing up with my my wonderful parents and family, I was on my first boat my parents way back when had a little Boston whaler when I was about six weeks old I was born in June and I think I did my first official camping trip when I was just maybe two months old so growing up we played outside we went boating every weekend we went you know hiking and and in the outdoors and so growing up uh, recreation was a big part of my life wow and what did your folks do for recreation or for work? No, well, both. <laughs> I guess both, yeah. Okay. Um, my father is a building contractor. He runs his own company down on the Cape. My mom was a nurse. She's retired. Yep. But my hey. dad's an entrepreneur. My uncle, All my uncles are entrepreneurs. And so having that entrepreneurial blood, I knew eventually I would run my own business. It just happened 10 years ago that I started. That's neat. So you ended up in Boston. Uh, your partner lives there. Mm -hmm. Like, is that is that's the reason for Boston? Are there other yeah. professional reasons? Well, I have I have a number of colleagues here in the coaching space. A number of clients here as well. I could still continue to run this business a hundred percent from the Cape, but it's wonderful to be in Boston. We have some of the best learning organizations in the world here, as Kent, I know you're familiar with from going to workshops and programs there. So just the opportunity to be connected with others who are interested in learning and keeping those skills sharp has been um, a pretty good opportunity for me. It's really cool. So I feel like I wanna put the hammer down just a little harder on where you think the future is going. Because the so many folks talk about, and I know you've talked about everything from millennials to 
to all kinds of different things. Everything is changing so quickly. I hope in a lot of ways for the better. But where are we headed the next 20 years, you know, 20, 30 years in the workplace? What do you, what do you think? What do you see the young generation coming up, the kids that grew up with screens, uh, the AR stuff coming out now is freaking me out. Avatars. Yeah. What, where, where do you think things are going? Well, I think in terms of leadership, I think every day the importance of empathy and flexibility it continues to be important for leaders and for cultures and organizations. I think the pandemic has taught us a number of things. I think the silver lining was that we can trust people even if they're not sitting in the office right next to us. And, you know, people also have aspired to do maybe more than they had been doing in the workplace, maybe doing some side hustles or or some different things. So I think empathy and flexibility is going to be the name of the game especially for the next year as we work, hopefully work our way out of this pandemic. But I think younger generations are going to expect that. I don't foresee the younger generations being as bought into a nine to five Monday through Friday work environment because there's so much possibility that's outside of those boundaries or limitations. So I think empathy from leaders, flexibility from organizations and their cultures, and building a psychologically safe work environment that will promote continued innovation, continued support for new ideas, I think also is going to be increasingly important as we look ahead to the future. I'm certainly not a, you know, fortune teller of where we'll be in 20 years. I, I hope I'm retired in 20 years, but but we, we, will, we will certainly see what the future holds for us. So you used a couple of interesting words there, expectation being one of them. I have to question the wisdom around want of a better word and it's only the first word that came into my head pandering to the expectations of the workforce it is very easy to look at the workforce an educated workforce who can work from home who can work using flexible hours it is much more difficult when we look at manufacturing world and the travel industry and places that have to be there at certain amounts of time. Even when your customer base is in a different time zone than you, you have to work at your customer's time zone. So that flexibility is really only viable for a relatively small portion of the population. So what does the rest of the, the thing look like to you? Yeah, so expectations, I think, need to go both ways, right? The expectation of the business and their leaders to meet their bottom line, to have good products and services for their customers, for sure. And not all businesses can operate 100% remote. We know that. However, I do think there are opportunities to inject flexibility and choice, even in manufacturing, whether it's you know team-based manufacturing where the team decides instead of the leadership team when they work and how they meet production demand. I just think um, having some flexibility, even in frontline employees, is going to be pretty critical. And I think employees are hungry for it. And I think employers need to continue to look for ways to innovate to meet that desire and need 
of the workforce. And I realize doctors can't do their jobs, do their surgeries from home. The, the trash collecting companies that come through my neighborhood once a week cannot do that remotely, at, at least not right now. Um, so there are those, those opportunities that need to be in person. But how can we make it a more enjoyable experience? How can we give some more choice in terms of, of work conditions and schedules? I think there's a lot of possibility that can come from that, even with those folks who cannot work remote. I love the words empathy and flexibility for a lot of reasons, particularly because they're so distant from the digital thing. I mean, you know, flexibility, like, hey, look, I can stretch my arm. I can, I can, if I get hit in the stomach, I can kind of absorb it, right? As long as I'm ready for it. Uh, and with empathy, it's like I, I have problems with empathy. I walk down the street and if, if somebody's hurting, I, I'm going to feel that, right? It's physical. It's a, it's a, you, you feel it. There's a tactile nature to those two words. Yeah, for sure, I think. And when we look at empathy, we're not looking at sympathy either. Um, Brene Brown has a really great quick YouTube video. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's about three minutes long, empathy versus sympathy. But she really gets into what does this actually mean? So for those listeners who are less familiar with empathy, if you Google uh, Brene Brown, empathy versus sympathy, a great three minute soundbite on that. That's actually kind of funny, um, but really hits the point home. So Brene Brown, two B's, Sarah Scala, two S's. Tell us where folks can find you, who you're looking for, who you want to reach out, and um, yeah, what you what you're hoping for people listening. Great. Well, definitely check out my website, sarahscala.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-S-C-A-L-A. From there, you can subscribe to my newsletter. It comes out once a month where I share blogs and great podcast tips and uh, video clips. Also, I have a number of digital courses that I kicked out, one on optimism, resilience, and grit, which is 100% digital. There's a link right on the top of the webpage for that. And um, I've been doing a ton, 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 ton of facilitated public speaking workshops, especially during the pandemic, on the topic of sustaining success with optimism, resilience, and grit. Um, gentlemen, I was all of a sudden the pandemic hit and I was doing this four days a week once the pandemic hit because of so much ambiguity. And so that workshop continues to be one of the highest requested programs that I offer. Also, if you or your employees are LGBTQ or questioning and would benefit from working with a leadership coach, again, not a therapist, not a life coach, I'm taking on new clients in the coaching space as well. So this has been really great opportunity, Ken and Randy. I uh, can't thank you guys enough. I like that you said, uh, not a life coach, not a therapist. <laughs> That's what we're always saying. We're like, not a life coach. Uh, but I, I love that because, you know, what do people need more than here's what to do? And, and yeah, uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. My dog agrees. Awesome. Yeah, maybe your dog is pleased that he doesn't have to hear my voice. <laughs> so thank you so much, and um, we can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, Ken and Randy. Great. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I really enjoyed our time together. 
I find the things that you said to us to be quite challenging and at a personal level I had to look at myself and say am I falling into the traps into the habits into the activities that we so often do without thinking I love also hearing about the adventure side of things because it's so often that you know in business you need a little bit of that sort of goose right the little bit of a a kick in the in the shins to to move forward and i love that idea that adventure can pull people together and so this this was a blast learning today and and being part of this so thank you sarah and so ken and i are adventurous folk and we like our clients to be adventurous so if you're feeling a little bit adventurous today go visit us at thoughtpartnergroup.com that's thoughtpartnergroup one word dot com and take a look at what we've got going on that was well said there Andy the one thing I'm confused about is the one word thought partner group one word that's a long word it is. Well, it's three words all combined without spaces, oh, so I say one word. Because if you type in thought space, partner space, group.com. That's right. Then you, I'm you get all those percentage 20s in there and it, it messes everything up. So people don't type any percentage 20 there. Or you could just end up at group.com, which is a thing. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll sponsor the podcast. In any case, folks, have a great week, have a great life, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.